Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. Well, welcome to Resiliency um, Within. I am so grateful to have Bodine with me today, but I also want to remind our listeners that we're also um, live streaming on Facebook, Facebook Live at Resiliency Within. So if you want to see us as well as hear us, you can go to Facebook Live as well. So let me tell you a little bit about Bo, and I'm so grateful that he's here today because he's going to tell us more of a personal story today. But we met because of his job where he serves in New Hanover County government professionally as a senior HR analyst for training and development. And he actually, um, he, he, he um, helps over 2,000 public servants. But one of the things that I love about him is he's very engaged in his in his county, and he's he's also engaged with the Trauma Resource Institute that many of you know is a sponsor of the show. But he has actively pioneered bringing resiliency skills from many models, including he is a certified community resiliency model um, teacher. Um, but today he's going to share a bit of his personal story. I'm just going to say a little bit about it and going to turn it over to him to, for his his um to tell us a little bit more in depth, but. It's, he's going to share um, how he harnessed his diverse skill set throughout his cancer diagnosis, treatment, and ongoing recovery. And I am so grateful that he has he is in recovery because he's been such a stalwart supporter of our organization, the Trauma Resource Institute, and me personally. Um, I think his experience has fostered um, also in him, and he says this, a profound sense of self-compassion, which is proven invaluable in his daily work with, within New Hanover County, and he's going to tell us a little bit about that. Um, but he has shared that he routinely confronts various, various crises and encounters individuals during their most vulnerable moments, allowing him to connect and support them through these challenging circumstances. And I think, you know, what he says that really represents a remarkable level that, you know, kind of a, of a commitment that he has and that he has um, with others that really helps to chart a positive path forward. But I think the other thing is that Bo's journey has also been one where we have been grappling, and he certainly has been very involved because of his role in New Hanover Co County with the COVID epidemic, with political turbulence, facing multiple, at this moment in time, global disruptions, including war and other crises that impact individuals and communities. So he is gonna share with us how he believes his, his skills and has helped him to maneuver not only his personal adversities, but also his professional ones. So Bo, welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you so much. You know, just today. seeing you and hearing you, I'm thrilled. Um, if anybody has the iChill app, you get to hear her grounding us all the time. And um, we actually use it at orientation. I don't know if I've told you oh, that, Elaine. I know, so, I know yeah. that. So no, it's the wonderful. to new employees at New Hanover County, they get to hear my voice yep. grounding them. Yep. Oh my. Okay. Well, I guess I'm projecting many people around the world. Thank you so much for that. So, so what's on your mind as we're getting started today? It's been quite a last couple of weeks, hasn't it? 
It, it really has. And it's interesting because today um, I'm up on the fourth floor of our health and human services building in one of our nurses supervisors offices uh, because we were doing a facilitation with our um, HHS folks, health and human services and talking about, you know, basically what else is true. We're asking them to really think about, you know, hey, what do you want to see moving forward? They've been doing so much to, you know, coming out of COVID and all that kind of good stuff. And that's one of the things I love about my work is that I get to be with people and really talk to them about what's going on in their world in terms of service. And the last couple of weeks, I, I went on a, a, um, a, a work experience with our out, street outreach team. Just like what y'all are experiencing on the West Coast, we have a, a really large increase in homelessness, um, unsheltered uh, folks that are here. And our street outreach team is going out there and literally connecting with people and walking up to them and saying, how can we serve you? And we're seeing veterans and people who can't afford housing and the, the mental health crisis, et cetera. And as I was going out with them, it was really hitting home with me that 34 years ago, you know, very like my own circumstances, but for the grace of God go I, because that was, I got sober April the 3rd, 1989, and very much living in my own lived experience, I had been unsheltered for a while. And so seeing people in this sort of journey that they were going through, it was very real watching that, but then watching this team go out and, and make those connections. And it was something as simple as just walking up to somebody and handing them a card and saying, hey, we're here for you. And you can make, you know, this is for you. We're not telling you what to do, but we, we can provide you with something. And then being able to sit back in the truck with the person doing that work and saying, hey, if you're going to do this 10 hours a day, multiple days a week, what are you doing for you to take care of you so that you can continue taking care of them? And that sort of frustrated look of a social worker going, I'm fine. <laughs> and oh, yes, social workers don't always think they're fine. I'm a social worker, <laughs> right? When we're not. <laughs> and I love you for it. Um, however, we got some skills, you know, let's do some resets and yeah, and they're great, you know, and they and they get that. But but that language that we've introduced into our work has literally transformed this county. It's transformed me. And so as I'm going on that journey with them on that experience, I'm using resets throughout the day so that I can be present. I can work it. They're using it's it's remarkable. And I'm going to say as they're connecting with folks that may have schizophrenia, may have a mental health issue, may they're using it with the folks that they're reaching out. So they're pausing they're being present. They're using things and saying, hey, let's take a minute just to be with one another and really sensing in, using gestures, doing things that you know really are new level of helping us to serve the people around us. And so that's what's in my system today is, is watching this be a part of our conversations, but also watch it be a part of our process to making a more I'm not going to say peaceful world, but certainly a more connected world. And that that in of itself was the, the larger pieces. When you look at Israel and Gaza, when you look at Ukraine, when you're looking at what's going on systemically in the country with no speaker. I mean, what it starts to whittle down and get to the to the micro and it becomes, oh, wow. OK, right now, right here at this moment. I'm OK. And that really does help to resonate out into creating something better around me. 
Well, and that's not only about you being present with yourself, but it helps you to be present with others in a deeper way. But I also just want to say, because I did not know that there was a time in your life 34 years ago that you did not have a home. um, And I think of all the things that you do, truly adversity is not destiny. And whatever happened to you along your path, and when you just described, you know, what what your um, staff are doing, going out and doing the outreach, I'm thinking, oh, they're looking at each person as a person, not an unhoused person, but a person right. with the potential and the hope of maybe crafting a different life. And if that would have happened to you 34 years ago, we may not be having this conversation, or I'm just imagining how many lives you have helped along your career. Um, knowing that there have been many. So that's that really is a hopeful story. Yeah. And I know we have a short time today, but I have to tell this 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 story because it builds into everything we're going to talk about this this hey, other hey. experience. So right after I got sober, I the, the first place I lived, I moved to it's a weird story. I'm from the south, but I moved up north. A friend of mine had invited me up to, to Connecticut and I got a really great job. And but the first place that I landed and up there, up in the foothills of the Berkshires, a lot of people will land in these big, fancy um, estates and they'll manage. They'll be the caretaker for and they'll get free rent and then they'll work locally. Well, I got into this first place and the person that was there had a reason to be in my life. And we won't go into that. But once I got that reason, it, it became clear this person was not stable and the environment wasn't stable. Now, I'm, I'm all the way from North Carolina, had uh, no resources, et cetera, and I had to move. And so I had no place to live, but I'd gotten sober, and i gotten into this youth group. I'm 22 years old, and this woman named Poochie Simmons, I'll never forget her as long as I live, she had a father-in-law that had these row house, this row apartments in this really sketchy part of Millerton, New York, and she said, look, he's got a place for you to live, but I'm going to tell you, you're not going to like it. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, Bo, I'm telling you, it's the only place we got for you that you could afford. And I said, all right, whatever. I walked into this place. Literally, y'all, it had no floor. It had no air conditioning. And I know up north, it sounds like, oh, no air conditioning is no bad. But this is in July. It's like June or July. And to get to the shower, you had to squeeze past this old refrigerator that didn't work to get into the shower. Unbelievable. Now you're talking about a kid that was, you know, just advantaged and all this stuff. And so, but I, I said, this is the only place I've got to live. I'm going to live here. So I went to work and I was working at a place called Simmons Way Village Inn. And I went to work one night and I'm doing my thing. And I come home and I open the door. The youth group that I was in, the sober youth group that I was in, in Sharon, Connecticut. And if there's anybody out there that was in this youth group, I love you. I opened the door. And in there, again, no floor, the windows couldn't be open, nothing. I opened the door. There are cups on a shelf. There are forks and plates. They had put in a bed with 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 um, uh, uh, stuff for me to sleep in. They put in a plant and a chair. They had gotten the keys from Poochie, and they had gone in and had put in all that stuff for me so that I would have enough to be able to survive and to be able to feel comfortable. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is 34 years later, and I have a picture of that apartment. But that is probably one of the finest places I've ever lived in my entire life. Because there were people that loved me enough to help me when I couldn't love myself, to give me some basic needs to get through at that point. And I mean, and now we talk about what else is true. 
It didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't have a floor. It didn't matter. It was the most beautiful thing that any human being could have ever done. All the stuff that I thought I wanted in my life, that was it. It was this love and care and compassion. I've never forgotten that, right? Oh, my gosh. That's like better than Christmas. (laughs) Oh, it was incredible. And it just began this journey that seems to continue. And it goes up and down and things like that. But this becomes part of this journey that I've been on all of these years. And it and I told you before we started today, I'm 57 now, and it seems like over the last decade, this articulation of connecting and and understanding and all this kind of stuff just keeps amplifying itself in a way that I want to share it with everybody because it's it's a way that it doesn't the stuff doesn't matter. It's how we connect and how we do for each other. Um, it's really powerful. Well and I think I you know I want to ask kind of this kind of piggybacks to another question. Because you you talk about hope a lot, um, and so can you yeah. tell tell me a little bit about why hope is so important to you and why you talk about it? Not everybody people might say hope is important, but they don't express it in the way that you do. Bo, can you just say a little bit about that? Well, there was a, back in those days there was this um, um, uh, monk, and we called him Cigarette Bob. Everybody had a nickname. And this monk, he, he was a chain smoker, you know, but he was a monk, I mean, go figure. But he always talked in parables and he would always, you know, tell whenever he would speak, he would always say, but he would also talk about the fact that for, and, I, and I'm 22, so, you know, I re- retain things, but I didn't always understand them. But he would talk about the fact that, you know, hindsight's 2020, and, and we, we hear that a lot. But the, the more I would move through some of these experiences, the more I would realize that no matter how dark or bad it got, even when I thought it was the worst. So even when I when I was going through active addiction, when I when I go back and look at some of the trauma that happened, number one, there was a lot of good that was happening during that time too. So I was able to assess that. So, you know, to do some assessment that there were good things happening even in those days. But what gave me the inspiration for hope was that in all that time, me being open to the next was always presenting me with the opportunity to see that there was something that else was coming true. There was always something that was moving me forward. And, you know, I I went through a certification recently with our our organization called SHRM that talked a lot about suicide and talked a lot about um, um, uh, prevention for suicide. And one of the things I really realized was that the two major times I tried to commit suicide in my youth was that it was hope that really pulled me out of it. Um, it was at that moment when I was right at the edge, and, and the last time was in Twin Lakes, Connecticut, and actually it was a year sober, because after a year of being sober, I'd gotten through that sort of joy of not drinking, and I all this emotional stuff had come up, and I didn't know how to deal with it. And I was at Twin Lakes, and I was really struggling, and I was kind of trying to find the right tree. And, and it was in that moment that something in me got me to pick up the phone. And I called this woman named Carol Buckley, who was a really big friend of mine, who was also a mentor. And I was just screaming into the phone. And she said, what is it that's going to get you through right now? And I looked up and there was this white owl flying around the lake. And I was just stopped. And she said, Bo, are you there? Are you there? And I said, yeah, I'm there. I said, there's this stupid bird flying around. And she said, well, talk about it. And I said, there's this white bird. And she said, Bo, there's no bird flying. It's too cold right now. And I said, Carol, I am not hallucinating. There is a bird flying around. And I have this big thing about owls now because of all this. But there was this, and she said, describe it. And she said, Bo, that's a white owl. And I said, yeah. And she said, that's almost impossible. 
And I said, well, Carol, I am not high. I am not drinking. I know what I'm seeing. And I'm crying and all this stuff. And she said, well, it's there for you for a reason. Focus on. And I said, well, right now, that's why I want to keep living because I don't want to ever stop seeing what I'm seeing right now. Sorry. It was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life. And she said, well, Bo, if you leave right now, you will never see another white owl again. Do you want to lose that? And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. I want to keep seeing good things. And she said, all right, get to a meeting. And so I got to a meeting that afternoon. And that that has been kind of a constant ever since. And it's not just a meeting. It's get to the next thing, right? It's getting to do the night. And, and that's no matter how, no matter what difficulty, get to that next thing, pick up the phone, um, show up to work, um, run, do whatever it is, get to that next thing. And it's always, I, I'm I, like, I have not had, I'm not Pollyanna, y'all. It, it just get to that next thing. And it's, it's always proven itself. Um, well, and I that's what keeps wanna, And I just want to say, if anyone is listening right now, who knows, someone may be feeling like I don't want to live anymore. And in that same moment where you knew that you called a friend, sometimes people yeah. don't know they can do that. But there's a number nine eight eight nine eight eight, and there is someone on the other end of that lot. You can text, and you can right. call, and I think you can. There's another way that you can get a hold of that line, but I know that you can text or you can call, yeah. and you can get help. So please know that you do not have to be alone. Just like Bo wasn't alone in that moment right. when he reached out and called his friend, but Bo. I have to say, I, I, I mean, it's just a risk and interpretation here. Oh my gosh, if that would have happened to me and I would reflect upon it later, I'd say, is that the Holy Spirit saying, no, do not leave. you are here with us. You're a child of God. That's right. Is that how and you I, and I'm, that? Yes. I embraced it that way. I and, and, and Michael knows we've been married now for 28 years. And so when, and long story, move forward, when back in the day when we couldn't be married legally, we went, we, we, so I know people, you know, this is, this is our story. Yeah. So we, we went up to Mount Pisgah and had a holy union and we asked God to bless us. And I kid you not, there was an owl. Soon as we said, God, would you please bless this, this marriage out of nowhere? And Michael's watching right now. He will affirm this story. As soon as we asked God to bless our marriage on that mountain at the Walnut Grove Overlook on Mount Pisgah, this owl started out of nowhere to hoot. And we're both crying like babies and we stop and we said, thank you. And the owl stopped. So when I say I'm freaking about owls, I'm telling you. (laughs) I think if I were you, I'd have owls all over my house. (laughs) They're all over the house. They're all over the house. So when you walk in the door, there's one to the left. And it's funny when Michael was younger, he, he actually painted a little ceramic owl when he was in middle school. So it's like, it's just kind of part of the whole but that's it, right? It's 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 the grabbing and seeing what's around us. Everybody's got something. It's a matter of seeing it and and, and whether it's nine eight eight, whether it's a friend, whether it's it's the skills, whatever it is, it's being able to be present for it and be open to it and say, yeah, this is what's going to help me see what else is true today. Because look, during all that time, the the realities of whatever was difficult were still there. But being able to widen that view and being able to hold it, I love being able to articulate that now and be able to share that. Well, Bo, you were teaching resiliency skills way before I ever met you. I mean, I just, (laughs) well, oh, oh, I know this. (laughs) 
they're just talking about it in this particular way, but I've been doing this for a long time. So that's, that's wonderful. Well, you know, we, I called you um, not long ago and I said, Bo, I want to do a show and I want to know if you would like to come and share your journey. And always, I always made it's an invitation. I said, you may not want to do it so publicly, but you said, no, I would like to do that. And it can't kind of came from a personal journey of my own family, where my husband was recently diagnosed um, with uh, melanoma in December. And he's been going through radiation and, oh my goodness, surgery and immunotherapy, all that kind of good stuff. And, you know, we're just talking about that. It's not an easy thing when, um, for me as a partner, um, when someone you love has cancer. And I think you have a very um, wonderful perspective that I thought would be important for you to share about your journey if you were up to it. And you said, okay, Elaine, bring it up. But before we start about the journey, um, and you may know this about me, I'm going to ask you to share with our guests the um, the recovering story. Is that when did you know that you were going to be you know, recovering. I know that there was a, um, you were in remission and then you had another incident, but then you're in recovery again. But so can you give us the last part of that recovery story? And then we'll go back to the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I have the most incredible physician, Dr. Rock McCarthy, and, um, he has a nurse, um, that I adore. Um, Sandy was the first one. And when you go into their office, it is like being held um, in comfort. It's like being held in assurance. You know, he looked at me the first time and said, you know, you're going to be friends with me for a long time. But it was after the second surgery that I went in for this this lovely camera going in a place that I don't want to talk about uh, <laughs> as a man. As a man. Um, but he's he's doing the scope and... He went and she looked at me before the scope went in and she she just put, she's got these big hands and she's got a lovely son she talks about all the time, but she put her hand on me and she said, you know what? She said, everything is going to be just fine. And it wasn't that it's going to be healed or anything like that. She just said, everything's going to be just fine. And there was a sensation that went through me, not only of warmth, but there was an ease that that just passed over me. And so when he came in to do the, the scope, um, he was in a good mood too. And I remember looking up and Michael was in the room and I looked up at the camera and it was just this beautiful journey of silk. You could, you could see it. And I, and that was the moment it, but it was, it wasn't just seeing no, no more of the, the tumors it was it was them. It was knowing that I was in good hands. And even if there had been a tumor, I knew that I was on the path of recovery. And I think that was the power of it. Because he had he had they made it very clear that this kind of cancer comes back and it and it still can, but that I'm on the journey of recovery. So no matter what's happening, I'm on that journey. And that was that was the moment I knew. And may I ask you, just at this moment as we're talking about it, for those of you that are listening to us, Bo makes lots of movements, and he put his hand to his heart, and his hands were moving. What are you noticing on the inside as you're telling me about this moment of recovering when you were there that day with the wonderful nurse with her wonderful hands and seeing the journey of silk, as you put it? <laughs> you... <laughs> yes. What do you notice happening? It's a wonderful lightness and a real ease. 
And I definitely feel like I can breathe. And it's just really, really beautiful. Well, so I'm just going to invite you to notice that because, you know, we notice sensations. Um, we both are trained in that now. And so yep. what part of the journey would you like to go to next? I think it's the beginning. Uh, and, and the real when, when you when you when you honored me with this, um, one of the things I just had a um, and I can do this in four minutes. Thank you for the morning. Uh, <laughs> and you can do um, too. We have plenty of time. I know. But there, there was a woman uh, locally, her name is Linda Pierce, and Linda was the founder of a place called Elder House, and she was one of my mentors. I stand on the shoulders of a lot of people that have made me who I am, uh, and I'm very grateful for all of them, you being one, Elaine. Um, but but Linda was uh, this extraordinary woman um, who was political leader, uh, a caretaker, I mean, all this stuff. And when she retired from her extraordinary career uh, taking care of elders, um, she used her front porch uh, in her home that she was born in to do interviews with people in the community. And I was honored to be interviewed. And the day that I was to go for my scan uh, for to, to find out what was going on with me, she interviewed me that day. And um, I knew something was really bad. Something was up. And I'd had a horrible experience with a urologist um, and was really nervous about moving through with this particular doctor. And she looked at me and she said, you know what, you're going to be fine. And I was like, what? And she said, whatever happens, you're going to be okay. And I, and I remember leaving her porch, not, not, not believing that I was not, didn't have a problem, but just knowing that I was going to be in good hands, but not his hands. There was something about what she said that I knew I was going to be okay. And so um, the reason I mentioned Linda is that part of before she passed away just recently, she was going to have me back on the porch to talk about this very subject. And so this is really awesome that I get to tell this story. So I went and had the scans. And that weekend, it was exactly 2020 on New Year's Eve. And I was went got the scans. And on that weekend, um, we we have a system in New Hanover County where your your records are electronic. So this, the report on the scan showed up on my electronic records before I had a chance to talk to the doctor. So I saw that I had cancer without being in the presence of a doctor. It was horrible because I had no one to talk to. And I'm sitting there in my chairs with Michael beside beside me, and I'm just devastated by this news because it's you know it's sitting there saying cancer, and I don't know I don't it's New Year's Eve you know it's a Saturday I don't know what to do, and I went completely into survival mode. I mean I just I just went shut down, and Michael grabbed my hand, and I'll never forget that feeling of Michael grabbing my hand because that brought me back into the present. His warmth, his love his I got you, all of that brought me back into the physical presence enough to the place where I could sort of go, all right, what can I do? What can I do? And I picked up the phone and I called a physician in town that I knew, Dr. Philip Brown. And I said, doc, I'm sorry to call you on a Saturday. Here's what's happened. And he said, I don't care what my position is. I'm here for you. Oh. Oh my God. And we got 30 seconds. So let's go back. I'll stop. And then so why don't you just pause for just a second. Yeah. And just as we go up to our little bit of break, say, I got you. 
He said, I got you. I got yeah. you. So I got you too. So we're going to yeah. come back after our couple minutes. We're going to hear a little bit of about the Trauma Resource Institute, and we will continue that story. And so, but keep that with you. I got you. And and as our as we're going to break, we will come back and hear more from Bodine and and his wonderful journey of recovery. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back to Resiliency Within, and I am here with my friend and colleague, Bo Dean, who has been so wonderful to share with us his journey with cancer and his and, and his recovering as well. And we are hearing the story of when he first got the news, which was not in the most wonderful of ways, online <laughs> without a doctor telling him. And But he had a friend who was a doctor who said, I got you. And so yeah. that's part of the story that we left. So let's continue from there. So what yeah, happened? So he, said, he, said, I got he, you. he said, I got you. He said, I can't read your, 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 your chart, but here, tell me what it said. And I told him what it said. He said, yes, Bo, you have cancer. He said, but here's what I can do. Yeah, because what I was freaking out about was the doctor that I'd gone to originally had said, I won't see you until this date. And I said, look, I, I don't know what to do. And he said, I will call him on Monday. I'll get him to call you. We'll see what we can do. He said, but here's the thing, Bo. Nothing's going to happen today. And we will take care of you. We'll be there for you. Just 
be present, be there with Michael. It's going to be all right. And and Doc Brown was amazing. I, I, I got it, you know, so I was lucky. But here's the thing. If I didn't have him, I now I've got 988, I could have called. So, you know, if somebody's getting bad news or going through something, I'm loving that we have those resources now. But I had that resource. So Monday, here's the here's this where it dips a little in the story. Monday, I get to the office and I get a phone call at 9 a.m. from that first doc. No, this is not Dr. McCarthy. This was the first doc I had. And he yelled at me. And he said, I can't believe I got a I got a phone call from this hospital administrative doctor, and he's telling me to call you. I don't know who you think you are. I mean, he went after me. Oh Y'all, I gotta tell you. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. I am, I am absolutely flipping out. And I don't know about y'all, but I was reared that preachers and doctors and police officers are, you know, you say yes, sir, and no, sir, and you shut up, right? So when he did that, I went into complete freeze mode. I was like, I didn't know what to do, uh, you know. And this beautiful, beautiful woman named Linda Thompson, who's in our office, she runs our DEI office. She came walking down the hall and she said, are you okay? And I said, no. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. She's also a pastor, by the way. And she laid hands on me and she said, "Uh, -uh, nothing is going to prosper that no weapon will ever be put on you that will prosper. And we got you and you're going to be moving through this. We'll take you. And it was incredible. And I remember, oh my God, it was incredible, right? So here again, you've got people that are around me that, that love me when I'm in the worst circumstances. And I remember I just, all I did was I just took a text and I texted somebody that I knew that was a doc. And I said, uh, do you know anybody that's a urologist? And he, without hesitation, he typed me Rock McCarthy's name. So I called and here's the funny part. I called the office. It's the same office as the doctor that had just yelled at me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm and I said to the secret, I said to the receptionist, I said, I don't know what to do. I said, this just happened. I didn't, I didn't throw the doctor under the bus, but I said, this I had a problem with the first doc. And she said, sir, we got you. We understand. Don't you worry. Dr. McCarthy is fabulous. So we're going to schedule you with him. Don't worry. We're going to switch you. She was so wonderful, but apparently she also knew something. She said, and by the way. I'm sure, I'm sure this is not, you weren't the only person that that happened. That's right. That's right. So she said, and by the way, we have an appointment that just opened up tomorrow. Tomorrow. She said, so we can get you in tomorrow. And so I went in the next day. And this incredible man walked in with that, like I said, this nurse. We were in COVID at this point, right? So this is, remember, we're now in July, January 13th or whatever it is, 2021. He walks in with a mask, compassionate eyes, beautiful, beautiful nurse. And I didn't know back in those days what they were going to do to me. Like, I'm thinking they're going to come in. They're going to do, you know, like, look at like an x-ray. No, no, they got to stick a camera up me. And I'm not talking about like my nose. Okay, let's just put it that way. Yes. Uh, first time that's ever happened. Um, so yeah, I was not an my easy skills. procedure. Not an easy procedure. Talk about shift and stay. You know? Yes. So, uh, <laughs> but they do this, and when I was talking about that smooth look of the recovery, I look up, and Michael will tell the same thing because he was in the room. There were these gorgeous like crystals. Crystals are tumors. Tumors are ironically really beautiful. And I saw his face and I saw his nurse's face and it was, they were not great, but they were compassionate. 
And they said, yeah, we, we're going to have to have surgery. But the beautiful thing about these two was they were like, you know, Bo, we got you. We're, we, the same thing. We got you. We're going to get this. We don't know if it's in the muscle wall. We don't know the condition, but there's a lot of it. And he said, but we won't know the full extent until you go to surgery. Now, mind you, I've never had surgery before, ever. So it was my first time for a lot of things. And it's during COVID. So um, my my went back to work. I told my work what was going on. Um, they were unbelievably supportive. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better place to live. My boss, unbelievable. But I said, look, I, I don't want to stop. I want to keep doing some things. I, you know, we're, we were sent home at the time. I'm working from home. We're good. So I had my first surgery, and it turned out that I had 40 tumors. Um, so 40. Are you going to share the kind of the kind of cancer you had, or is that no? Yeah, so it, it was it's bladder cancer, okay. and there were. But the good news, if there's any with forty tumors, is that none of them were in the muscle wall. So I, he was able. He said he told me he said, "Bo, I got as much as I could get while I was in there," and he said, "So we're going to do your treatments after this." And so they did, um, they had to wait until um, for a while uh, for recovery before they could do the treatments. But here's the thing, in the recovery, I had a great therapist that taught me about keeping my hands busy because I had to wear a catheter and never done that before. And one of the most beautiful things that a spouse could ever do for anybody, I was wearing a catheter and I was so paranoid about this thing, pulling and all this kind of good stuff. And um, I woke up one day and I looked to my right of the bed and I know this may sound silly to somebody but if you've ever worn a catheter you know it's got a bag and all that kind of good stuff and 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 it's embarrassing you know it's it's hard because you're you know you you I don't know about y'all but I like to be independent and having pee in a bag and having to empty it and all that stuff and I looked to my right and Michael had gone and he had taken a little t-hook and he had screwed it into the side of the bed so that it would take the weight off of the bag, so that if I moved in the bed, and he had taken that much time to realize what a relief that would give me. And what and I and I have left that tea. Dear husband, what a dear husband. I mean, it was just the most beautiful thing in the world. And I didn't, I did not tell people publicly about what I was doing, like on Facebook or anything like that, but my rotary. They announced it at Health and Happiness. And so I got this flood of cards and they're all like lining up and down around my bed. And I could look up and I could see these cards, it, you know, just things like that that could keep me just moving through and, and realizing that I'm really fortunate. Right. I'm, I'm no matter what was going on, no matter what was happening, I'm I'm in a place where I've got great care because I know so many people that don't have this. Right. And so I've got great care. I've got people that love me. I mean, it was just, it was tough. Please don't, please don't think I'm Pollyanna. I mean, there was a lot of toughness to this, but, but so much was helping me to see and widen and see what else was true. And it was really helpful to be able to do that. And so by the time I went through the treatments, I was able to sort of have this sort of position where you know, if this becomes the rest of my life, if this becomes part of the process, yeah, that's great. I'm still being able to have a really great life and be able to be a part of this. So that's you what were say something. I was really struck by when you talk about your journey is that you were going through these these um, treatments and you were you know, had a catheter, all these things that were happening. 
But Bo, you didn't stop living. I mean, looking at those cards and um, even the hook. I mean, Michael made the hook for the for the bag. I mean, it was like, oh, okay, these people are helping me. I mean, I guess that's that that outlook of optimism, which you know, some people talk talk about toxic positivity, but that's not my experience. Is is that you are clearly this is not the easiest experience of your life, and yet you're remembering what we both love that that question: what else is true? And that absolutely. Things, but there's also something about a blanket that you wanted me to ask you about. What was it about the blanket? So one day um, I got a knock on the door and it was COVID. So nobody would stay at the door. And I, and I opened the door and I had, I guess I'd posted somewhere about my mom knitting. My mom's passed away and she passed away her last diagnosis with cancer. And so that was the final uh, problem for her. And so I opened the door and sitting at the door is this gorgeous blanket. And uh, a friend, um, Allison Schmidt, had um, uh, uh, knitted a blanket for me so that I would have something to bring me comfort along my, 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 my lap while I was going through this. Now, y'all, I, I've been through a lot in my life. That was just out of nowhere that this beautiful human being sat there and put together this blanket and it wasn't just Allison. Um, another dear friend of mine took an orange yarn and did one as well and created um, a, a, a blanket for me as well. And so I've got these two gorgeous blankets that were created for me during this time by people that sat down with intention and put these things together. And it's hard to explain how incredible that felt. No, I mean, Jan, know, all of a sudden, so I'm excited about you, though. This is something, I think this was you, Bo, that this was pre-COVID, that you knew that I was going to be in Atlanta. Yep. And you called me and said, Elaine, I have someone really dear to me who's in a hospital in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, I remember and that. And you said, would you go see her? Now, you have to understand, uh, my listeners, I didn't know anything about, I mean, I knew this person had been involved in some research regarding the community resiliency model, but I didn't know this person. But Bo calls me and says, this is a really wonderful person, and could you please, Elaine, go and see her? It would mean a lot to her. So what did I do? You did. I went to and see actually, her because you, you told me to go see her. I went to see her. It was lovely to see her. But yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you know, saying to my friends that are, I said, you got to drop me off here. And they're going with me through the hallways. I go, she doesn't know me. So we'll see, you know, and I go and I knock on her door and there she is. And we have a, she was with her mom and we had a lovely yeah. conversation, but I'm, I'm bringing this out because th- this is about who you are as a person. I mean, you, you, I guess I would, I would have been a blanket. <laughs> There's a blanket coming. <laughs> I'm gonna be talking. <laughs> I don't know if you well, want to. I'm say trying that. to learn. So I'm trying to learn how to crochet now because I want to make blankets for people. Um, plus, I want to keep my hands busy. But what a it, it, this whole experience has been just another piece of recovery and how we connect with each other. That's all. Well, if, if there's nothing that else that comes out of this, it's about how to connect with things that help us get through these very difficult well, and dark and times. What you give give out comes back to you. And that's it why really it really does. It really does. Yes. Because yes. not everybody, I don't I don't think anybody's ever asked me to do that with someone I didn't know, right? To oh. say please. <laughs> you know, so I just that was the sweetest thing. And so Thank I am you. so glad that it came back to you. And that Thank was you. one of the ways that that helped you through. Now, you know, that was the first 
um, round, and then yeah. you were better. And then, can you say something about? Um, yeah. So, so Rock was really clear. He said that this again, this cancer can be with me the rest of my life, and sometimes it'll clear up. And but I go back every six months, and eventually it may become every nine months. But he the, uh, came back six months later. There were still some tumors, and he said, "Look, with forty, you started out with. We're down to a few more. We got to have another surgery." Well, by that time, our hospital had been sold and he went with another system. So he's still in the region, but he's in this. <laughs> and so I had to have my second surgery at a hospital in the middle of the country. And it was a very different experience. Well, in the middle, not, of, the country, in the middle of North Carolina, when you say country. North Carolina, right, so right, right. Rural and, area of North Carolina. Very rural area, yes. Okay. But he, the same doctor, they gave him brand new equipment. I mean, all that kind of good stuff. So it was, and it was lovely. It really was. But I told Elaine before we started here, we got there that morning. And literally, I walked to the front door and they said, oh, yeah, go on down the hall. They'll take care of you. I'm just like. What? I mean, because you're used to, you know, things on electronic boards and all that kind of good stuff. And it was very wonderful, right? It was very, we got down to the, the desk down the hall. They were drinking coffee, having a good time. My name was Chalk on a board. Uh, not very HIPAA, but... <laughs> but we got in the room. In a rural hospital, yes, you got in the room. And then what happened? And this, this lovely nurse walks in with this I Love Jesus t-shirt and, you know, all this stuff. And she could not have been more lovely to Michael and myself and said, you know, I'm going to knock you out. You won't know anything that happened. You're going to be just fine. And she looked at Michael and said, Sugar, what can I do for you? I know the husbands always have such a difficult time. I mean, they were spot on. Some of the best people. And loving because you don't know that with the way people are, that sometimes they are homophobic. You don't know how they were with you, but that wasn't your experience. No, not at all. Loving embrace. For both yeah. of you. And, exactly. And the second surgery was not as bad as the first in terms of pain and all that stuff. Recovery was faster. The treatments are always the same. They they have to put the medicine in you. And then I have to roll around and all that stuff. And by the two, second or third, you get really tired and all that kind of good stuff. Now, luckily, this treatment, because they put it in your bladder, doesn't have an effect on hair or anything like that. But I gained some weight um, over this because I, I'm I was vegan. I'm now vegetarian, but I lean towards carbohydrates because I I will say, as much as I use the, the skills, um, I still lean on food from time to time. And so during this, I got real heavy on the biscuits. Uh, <laughs> but the doctor said he said, "Bo, if that's all you're doing, we're good." So, um, but it's it's coming off fine. One of the things I loved before cancer was running. And so right now I'm gradually getting back to running. Um, but after that second surgery, I've gone back now twice and we've only had one little scare and he was able to biopsy it right there, found out that it was not cancerous. And so I'm, I have had full recovery or a full remission uh, both times um, since then. So I'm next one will be in November. And I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking forward to it being not there. Well, I, so. I'm, I'm going to hope and pray that that's, that is what happens. But, you know, one of the things that when we first talked about um, doing the show was that there's something that's been a byproduct of having bladder cancer that you learned about the increased risk of uh, first responders in having bladder cancer. And I'm wondering if 100%. you would a little bit about that, because maybe there is a of, you know, a first responder or a family member of first responder that doesn't know about the increased risk of yep. bladder. 
So, so turnout gear apparently has substances in turnout gear that were PFAS and some other things. So the longer you're exposed to your turnout gear, um, the long, the more likelihood that you could have a link to cancers. So one of the things that they're doing to mitigate it, they, they can't necessarily get rid of all turnout gear, but they, the longer that you have it on. So I think some of the, the protocols they're doing now is that they're only turn, putting in turnout gear if it's an actual fire, and they're not just putting on turnout gear when they go to any call. But they're also doing some screenings. And I was very proud of our local New Hanover County firefighters they got the Firefighter Association to get a grant so that they could do top to bottom screening so that they could look for some of these things um, and start to really find some ways uh, uh, throughout the associations to look at what's showing up in their bodies as well. But it is something that legislatively, um, the North Carolina um, legislature and some of the legislatures across the country are looking at to really come in and look at a higher degree of looking for first responders when it comes to their exposures. And it's not just the turnout gear, it's some of the phones that they use to control fires and some of the other things as well. So it's really important for all of us um, when we're talking about um, drinking water, um, because I, I'm not going to say that my cancer came from our drinking water. We do have a big issue with PFAS, but I do know that bladder cancer is not common in my family. So there are cancers that are coming up in our generations that have come from things that are in the ground. And so it is something to get screened on, to take a look at. I tend to now only drink um, waters that are filtered, things like that. But the other thing, too, in terms of bladder cancer is the, the refined sugars. And I will say that that has been a problem most of my life as well. So uh, the doc has said, don't get carried away. You know, there's the, 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 the there's different ways to read the literature. And I'm not a, a professional. So please, please get your doctors to, to talk to you about this. But I do know that for first responders in general, this is something that we need to continue to take a look at. Because I've worked with some of the finest in the world that are right here. Um, and we have a lot of folks that are needing to make sure that as they take care of us, we're making sure that we take care of them because these these cancers are definitely there's some high correlations with that. Well, and I, you know, I, I looked up a little bit about it, but it, statistically, um, studies have shown that firefighters are twice as likely to have bladder cancer than the general population. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's quite a bit. So, I mean, I hope that you reach out. Um, um, and you also can contact the American Cancer Society and you can ask them about it. So 100%. the American Cancer Society, just put that into Google and you'll get their website and you can ask um, questions directly about that. So well, and, and if, if I may just pitch, you know, I'm, I'm a member of our hospital foundation here, Novant, uh, New Hanover County, New Hanover Regional Medical Center, Novant, which is our Novant system. But I'm a part of our foundation any hospital system around has a foundation and you can specifically give to nurses or cancer or whatever, 100% of those funds will always go to those areas. But also for our firefighters, every firefighters association has a professional firefighters association and you can give directly to your firefighters. It's 100% worth it to do something like that or just drop by the firehouse. If the door is open, that means you can come on in and they love it, and it's always a good thing to do, especially around the holidays. Bring you a turkey with you. Well, or, you know, I, I, I could oftentimes I have I went to, one time I went and there was like cookies and seized candy and oh yep. my god, 
that firefighters had had a lot of that unprocessed sugar. I hate to say that's but, right. <laughs> but you know, also Bo, you you know, you helped me understand more about that. And I also say, you know, it's like these horrible things that happen to us in our lives. Sometimes we learn things about ourselves, about the people who surround us with love, and also like this that you now can contribute to helping the firefighters in your community understand that they should be screened as well. So, I mean, that's, that's right. and that's the other thing about giving back. So, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. I'm just wondering, what would you like to leave our audience? What's your final thought today as we're getting ready to, to end our time together? Well, I, I think in particular adversity is not destiny, the, but, but what it takes is, and this is the one thing I love about um, really working with you, Elaine, is that, to amplify that, yeah, I can get through a lot, but to really, really bring it into my body and feel those sensations of wellness and really get that shift. So when I'm going through the darkest of times and I can feel my shoulders, I can feel that ease, when I can feel that sense of wellness, the way we articulate that we're wired for wellness, when all of our lives, many of us have heard what's wrong with us, We've got so much that's right with us. We've got so much that's good. And being able to remember that even when things are difficult, that's the power. And that's how we can help each other too. So that if I can't remember that today, I got people that can help remind me of that. Whether it's Michael's hand or whether it's a doctor looking at me saying, I got you, whatever it is, or calling 988, whatever it is, that's it. Um, that's to remind us that we've got a lot of power in good. And so I, I love you and I thank you for that. Well, thank you for being on the show, Bo. You know, you are one of these people that I always love to talk to. I always feel so optimistic. Uh, when I was going through a kind of a, a, a tough time, you knew that I love Barbara Streisand and you sent me one of my favorite Barbara Streisand songs. Also, what else is true, right? And I can yes. hear him going, oh my God, he knows. This is like a <laughs> song, right? Thank yep. you so much for that. Um, but I also, you know, want to say to, to my audience that, you know, Remember what else is true. I think this is, whole show has been about that. And and the world is ha- is suffering right now. And I know it's, it's hard for me to watch the news and think about the suffering of the family and children that are being exposed to things that they had no control over. And I just want to wish them love and also encourage them to remember what else is true, whether it's holding your loved one's hand or um, bringing your faith in and saying a prayer or singing a song whatever it might be that helps you through the rough times in life. So again, a deep, a deep bow to you, Bo, and all the good works that you do in your community. It's such a blessing to know you. And I know I'm going to have you on the show again. We'll just have to figure out the next one, 2024. So, so until we meet again, this is Elaine miller Karras signing off Resiliency Within, just encouraging all of you to remember what else is true. And, oh, Bo, if they wanted to get in touch with you quickly, how would they do that? BoWilmington at gmail.com. Or if you're on Facebook, it's the Resilience in Action Facebook group. Resilient in Action Facebook group. And I really strongly recommend it because he posts the most wonderful things on his Facebook page. All right. Until we meet again, Bo, and, and my audience, until we meet again, please be blessed in everything you do. 
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karras, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine Miller-Karras, is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.